You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. So great, so great and fantastic to have you you with us the, this morning. So before I start, I just want to, to pray and declare and remind us that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. And I trust all of us saying yes and amen to that. And this morning as I share, I want to ask, Lord, won't you do everything that you need to do in us so that you can do everything that you need to do through us? And just listening to the testimonies that have taken place this morning, I'm so tremendously excited to see all that God is doing through this community. And the more, whenever I see the things that God is doing and who God is doing it through, it is just so obvious to see that it's the people who are asking and allowing and taking personal responsibility for the change and transformation in their own lives that they are getting to see the change and transformation in lives of those around them. And I trust that you all can say yes and amen to, to that. This morning I want to share on fighting the, the right battles. I was encouraged by a test that I received from Tracy during the course of this week. Tracy sent me a WhatsApp and a, and a great test for me on Friday. And I was saying to her, I really appreciated the encouragement and hopefully not because I, I feel insecure, but because sometimes it's so difficult to qualify and quantify whether what we do Monday to Sunday, Sunday to Sunday, has success and value and is actually making a difference. But the reality is in business, my success is measured by my balance sheet. It's so easy to see that I'm, I'm doing success, I, I, what I'm doing is success so I can do things well when I see a, a, a change in my balance sheet. But the reality is as believers and as leaders, all of us, not just me, we, we're building for legacy we're building for what I leave behind, not just what I reflect on a balance sheet at the end of the month, the end of my financial quarter. Because legacy goes on and on and on and on. But the challenge for me is legacy is so difficult to quantify and legacy is so difficult to understand in the moment. But we have to have confidence that we are doing it with a purpose in mind. And so in the, in the context of building for legacy, in the, in the context of, of going for the long haul, of, of persevering and carrying on, I'm conscious at the moment that sometimes we need to make sure that what we are contending for is worth contending for. How do we ensure that we are fighting the right battles? How do you know that what you are fighting for right now is the right battle, the correct battle to be fighting and contending for? And so I want you to say, well, let's just start off in this series and talk church. And if I say, let's talk church, this is where most people's eyes will glaze, glaze over. And they'll think, oh, my goodness, talking church and talking times and finances, these are not the best times to arrive on a Sunday morning. I think that the reality is, if we look at church history, we'll recognize that too often the church, and when I say church, it's not the steepest of people, so, so too often believers or religious people in general have been guilty of spending their time, their energy, and their money on battles that God never intended them to fight. 
I know for myself, if I look at the things in my past, so often I've exhausted myself on things that I should not have exhausted myself on. My, my emotional tank becomes depleted when I've partaken in fighting in the wrong battles. I think too often, I think believers fearlessly, and I, I spoke about this a little bit last week, where we fearlessly give ourselves to battles. And sometimes I think God is looking on and thinking, my goodness, what on earth are you doing? A bit of pattern play there. What on earth are you doing? Because what you should be doing should be rooted and based in heaven. And I think we are contending for and fighting and, and going to battle and doing warfare and all these different things. And God is saying, that's not what I called you to. That's not where I called you to spend your life. And therefore you are literally wasting your time. In this crazy season of lockdown and COVID, now more than ever, as individuals, as a community, as a nation, as a church, as a group of friends and believers, we need to figure out what is it that are the right battles and what are we supposed to be fighting? Right now, our culture has so many places contending for our money. There are so many things contending and fighting for our time and for our energy. What do we do? What, what do we need to do to make sure that you are we are spending our emotions, our time and our finances where God wants us to spend them? I've called this season, the, the, the series Fighting the Right Battles. And when we talk about fighting the right battles, I want to use an illustration of parenting, because parenting often comes into play. And again, this follows a little bit on what I've, been shared, what I've shared for the past three weeks in the, in the series, um, Spiritual Mothering and Fathering. As a dad of three teenagers, it took me time to realize that I need to fight for my children's hearts more than I need to fight for their, for their behavior. The reality is when your child is a, a baby, be it a biological child, or even the spiritual children that come across our past, the spiritual children that come into our homes, into our community, into our workplaces, when we are looking after babies and, 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 and young children, we need to train them and raise them in the way of the Lord. Proverbs 22 verse 6. And we do this by starting off with external solutions and motivations. We put them in the naughty corner and give them time out. We, we look at external things to be able to provide discipline and boundaries. But the reality is, what makes you a great parent in one stage of your child's life can make you a lousy parent in another stage of their life. Because friends, be it our natural children or our spiritual ch children, if we don't learn how to transfer from an in external motivation to an internal motivation, we'll lose our children. We'll dwarf them. We will prevent them from becoming all that they're supposed to be. And that's why we've been talking for so long about the need for personal responsibility. Because personal responsibility is proof that there's been a transition from an external discipline, from an external teaching, from an external boundaries to an internal one. Because the reality is, if I'm still sending Alexander to the naughty corner when he does something wrong, we have a problem. 
But when they were teenagers, the challenge for me was to take my, my eyes off their behavior, even when things are messing up and there's frustrations and there's mess and there's challenges, even when there's chaos, I need to take my eyes off the behavior Michelle, of their circumstances and to be able to focus this onto the findings and making sure I can find the pathway to their, to their hearts. When you find a way to navigate the pathway to somebody's heart, even when the external is chaos, you'll win both battles. And this is a lesson that I believe the church needs to continually look at and learn from. And even in this situation, my encouragement to you is are we learning to fight the right battles? Are we learning to look at the external motivation or the internal transformation? Our culture is crazy at the moment. And I think it's, it's, it's so much more difficult because we're not in each other's spaces as much as you would like for that relational connect. Because we as a church, we get so freaked out about how people are behaving. We get offended when sinners live with integrity. <laughs> what do I mean by that? The reality is, when a sinner lives with integrity, it means they are living true to who they say they are. If somebody who doesn't know God is, is not following the ways of God, if somebody who says, I am a messed up individual, I'm leading a messed up life, if somebody who says, I've got no boundaries and therefore I'm living a, bound, a boundless life, they've been true to what they say they are. But how often, as a church, as a community, as believers, are we true to who we say we are? We are here to love people. We are here to be beacons of hope. We are here to call out the gold in one another. We are here to be light and salt. We are here to love. Part of my worry is that we often get offended by the behavior of the people who know no better. Instead of letting that change me, so something in me changes so that I can love them and I can love them from their pits into their promise. Which means if we don't learn to fight the right battles, we'll be consumed by political battles, the external. If we're not learning to fight the right battle, we'll be consumed by the religious battles. And I think there are so many people who are consumed with a religious battle because we get consumed by the external battles for behavior. And when we are preoccupied and consumed by battles of politics, of religion, of behavioral modification and change, we miss the heart of God because the heart of God is for transformation of the heart. My scripture this morning is going to come from John 8. And in John 8, we read that Jesus encounters a woman caught in adultery. And here, Jesus shows up and he shows us how to fight the right battle. So open your phones. Open your app and get to start off with John 8 verse 1. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. 
and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, so in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? At this point, I'm sure that all of the women who are listening to this are going, absolutely. And where was the man? And I'm hoping all the men are also saying, where was the man? Because for me, the strange thing is that we know the woman was caught in the act. There's a whole lot of questions that can go on there, and I'm not going to go down that down that route. But if they were caught in the act, it means there had to be somebody else there. And I hear it's an important thing to remember. When people are focused on the external, when people are focused on the behavior, when people are focused about how things appear and the appearance, they're often selective in where and how they apply the rules. I'm putting rules in inverted commas. Because people who are focused on behavior modification and behavioral change focus in on the rules that say, actually, my rule dictates the behavior should be A, B, and C. It is a disenfranchised, the downtrodden, that the religious people shame the most. Where people focus in on the pits that people are in far more than the promise that they are called to. When even when believers focus in on the behavior and not the promise, on the pits and not the purpose, we have lost sight of our identity and the identity that Jesus sees them through. It's this situation where they are choosing their own rules, that they've somehow let this man miraculously escape. And I see a naked man running down the cobble street somewhere. Because they let this man escape, but they haul this woman, the subject of their disapproval and their disdain, into a religious environment to challenge her on her behavior. And Jesus sees what they're trying to do. And for me, the amazing thing is Jesus doesn't jump into this battle. What does Jesus do? He bends down and he starts to write in the ground with his finger. He starts to, I don't know, maybe he starts to doodle. But he bends down and he writes in the ground with his finger. And I don't want us to jump over this verse too quickly. Because here is this most amazing teacher. And so these religious folk come to Jesus and they ask him a question. And Jesus doesn't jump into their battle. He bends down and he writes in the ground. And these people, they throw the woman to the ground. They already have stones in their hands. And then what do they do? They quote scripture. 
And so they bring a religious old covenant mindset to the battle. They quote scripture. And then they ask Jesus, what do you think? What are you thinking? What should we do? And Jesus says, nothing. He bends on the ground and he writes. And the reality is we have no idea what he writes. Many people have guessed what he writes, what he wrote. Some have suggested that maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. Maybe he was writing the names of the people that these religious people were having adultery and affairs with. Maybe he was writing the secrets of their hearts in the ground. But the reality is we have no idea what he wrote. But what was he doing? He was listening. He was listening to his heavenly father. Why? Because he was always listening to his heavenly father. But he was listening to the heart of the woman. And he was listening to the heart of the accusers. Because Jesus was adamant. He was not going to get drawn into the wrong battle. And the the thing that we, we know is that it wasn't just a, a few seconds. It wasn't just a quick, quick and flippant thing. Jesus took time to listen. And I think so often we, we, we are so quick to jump into a battle. We are so quick to say something that we actually don't listen. And so Jesus listened and he listened and he listened. He didn't jump into the battle. And how do we know that? Because it says that they kept on questioning him. They kept on, Jesus, what do you think? What do you think? What's happening here? And Jesus paused and he listened. Because he was not going to engage in their battle. He was not going to operate in their timing. But he was going to operate in the timing of his heavenly father. And so we read again in verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. There's so many times when I'm in a conversation and I realize moments after I've jumped into the wrong battle that I shouldn't have where I've been too quick and flippant to say something that I think, oh my goodness, I should have just waited and heard the Lord and understood what the battle is I should, I should jump into. Or when other people have said something far more wiser, far more, far wiser than I have, I think, oh my goodness, if I'd waited and had that wisdom and that revelation. Daniel asked me to pray for something for him during the course of the week. I said, you know, thanks so much for sharing that with me, but I don't want to reply to you now. Do you mind if I take a, a while and press pause and I'll come back to you in a few hours and give you my response? Because I wasn't aware of the situation or the circumstances or something And I didn't want to be quick to jump into a battle, to jump into a situation, to jump into something before I'd press pause. I had 
figuratively gone to write in the sand to hear the heart of the people and the parties involved, to hear the heart of the father, and then I was able to phone it back a couple of hours later and say, this is what I think and this is what I feel. Jesus was adamant he was going to choose the right battle. And he waited for the correct time to respond to the correct battle. And so in verse 8, again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard him began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. (laughs) Even for that, the older ones, I'm I'm thinking this is the more mature ones, the ones who realize that actually... They are fighting the right battle, that they changed their mind. The mature ones left first. And only eventually Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And then again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Now, in this passage, we see a contrast between people. We see a contrast between the religious people fighting for behavior modification versus Jesus, who is fighting for heart transformation. The Pharisees, the religious people, they love to fight a battle for behavior. But in the process, and sometimes for, dare I suggest this, sometimes for you and I, we jump into a battle for behavior and we lose the battle for the heart. It says that always, when Jesus said always, what does he mean? In Matthew 23, verse 15, Jesus said, Woe to you, the teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you succeed, you make him twice as much the child of hell as you are. And friends, I'm wanting to propose that when the church is consumed with the external, when the church is consumed with behavior, when the church is consumed with how things look, when the church is consumed, when you and I are consumed with how things appear, the person that we're engaging with is worse off when our object is behavioral, change versus loving them into transformation of their heart. Where our commitment is to change your behavior more than it is to change your identity. And the scary thing for me sometimes is I'm thinking, is my motivation based on appearance or is my motivation based on kingdom? And so we need to understand that this is about the battle for the heart, the battle for the legacy, 
the battles for the ongoing, the battles for the family, the battles for the future, that it's more important than the battle for the fake. And Jesus understood this. When we learn to win the battle of the heart, then transformation and life will change and follow and continue to follow. Johan was sharing with us a, a little bit earlier in, in testing problem and just saying that in the, the Gardens for Life project that we're involved with and, and putting um, gardens into disenfranchised areas and onto, hill, onto rooftops, etc., that the important part is preparing the soil. The important part is the foundations. We need to get it right to make sure that there is ongoing healthy fruit and life and growth. So I'm going to end off this on part one. I'm going to carry on on, on part two and three, and we'll see how, how much more it goes. So my encouragement, friends, is that let's have a look at the battles that we are fighting for. Let's have a look at where we are putting our time, our emotions, our energy, and our resources. And say, Father, won't you allow me to invest in battles for the transformation of the heart? Won't you allow me to find the battles for legacy and kingdom and transformation and identity far more than the instantaneous desire to see a behavioral change? Because if our commitment and our expectation is a behavioral change is not going to have legacy and fruit and long-lasting. And the scary thing is we can lead people further and further away from the call of God over their lives if we don't do it with the heart, the empathy, the understanding, the identity, and the grace of what Father God has called us to do in Jesus' most glorious name. Jesus taught us how to lead the church, how to love the church, and how to choose our right battles. Let's take time during the course of this week to press pause on a more regular basis. Let's take time to bend down and write in the sand. Let's take time to listen to the heart of the people around us, the Jesus in us, the Father who leads us, and choose to contend for the battle that he has given us in his most glorious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 